الحمد لله الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له من يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله وصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فنعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وقال الله تعالى في القران الكريم يا ايها الذين امنوا اصبروا واصبروا ورابطوا واتقوا الله لعلكم تفلحون صدق الله لي العظيم My beloved brothers, we praise Allah, we thank Allah, we praise, we thank, we lovingly appreciate Allah, and thus we say, Alhamdulillah, Nahmaduhu. We praise, we thank, we lovingly appreciate Him. Wanasta'inuhu, we seek His help. Wanasta'gfiruhu, we seek His forgiveness. Wanu'minu bihi, wanatawakalu alayhi. We believe in Him and we trust and rely upon Him. And we seek refuge with Allah from the wrong within ourselves and the wrong actions in our actions. In whomever Allah guides, none can misguide. In whomever Allah lets astray, none can guide. We bear witness that there is no ilah but Allah. There is no master to Allah. There is no master but Allah. We are servants to none but Allah. There is no God but Allah. And we seek from Allah to shower His blessings upon His servant and messenger, kathiran kathira, and many more and many more. And once again, my beloved brothers, I ask you the same question that I ask every single time I stand before you. And that is for you and I to take a look at ourselves and ask yourself, what is changing? Look at your behavior, look at your religiousness, look at what's happening in our society and ask yourself once again, what is changing? Ongoing situations across the globe in Aleppo, there was a horrendous series of events in the last few days. And then of course we have the ongoing situations in Palestine, ongoing situation in Pakistan, ongoing situation even in the Sudan and Somalia and so forth and so on. And once again, what is that at the very least a reminder of? Number one, that every single one of us has a time where we will be called back to Allah. Every single one of us will be called back for our judgment. But number two, when we hear about these atrocities, we have to figure out what to do. When we hear about these atrocities, they should always be painful. Right? We often narrate the ayah in Surah Al-Ma'idah to speak about the peacefulness of Islam when we say that if you kill one, the children of Israel were told if you take one life, it is as though you've taken all, all humanity. And if you save one life, it's as though you've saved all humanity. And what is a simple lesson to take from that? That one life is so valuable that it's more valuable than all that the universe contains. That's how valuable one life is. But then when you hear in the news of 60 people get uh, killed right away, or even 100 people killed just in one blow, or 1,000 people killed in just one blow, it becomes mind-boggling. And it becomes mind-boggling that it happens day after day. And it becomes mind-boggling that Allah Ta'ala allows for this to happen. But Allah is in control of all, and we also know that if we include the Day of Judgment, then life is fair. If you don't include the Day of Judgment, then life is not fair. If you don't include the Day of Judgment, then you won't have an answer for all these people who are made to suffer, and the people who are perpetrating it could never pay it back, except on the Day of Judgment. So what are we saying? It is a reminder to be conscious of what is taking place. It's a reminder 
of our own judgment, and it is a reminder of the fairness of the Day of Judgment. If you and I forget about the fairness of the Day of Judgment, what will be the response within our hearts? When we see these horrendous pieces of news, we'll start breaking down, either with anger, or with depression, or just numbness. And some of us might already feel that way. And of course, we have the ongoing situation in our society. The election is getting closer and closer and closer, and who knows which direction it will go. And then who knows what will happen after the election happens. Our society is also a society that's getting increasingly tense. Whether we speak about issues related to race, issues related to the economy, and issues, of course, related to you and I, Muslims. But the most important question, especially for Juma, is not the political question. It's for you and I to ask ourselves, my beloved brothers and sisters, what is it that is changing within our hearts? The same point I say to you every single week, and I say to you every single week as a reminder over and over and over again, that if I don't take control of myself, if I don't take control of my nafs, then who am I handing it off to? I'm handing it off to the environment around me. That if I don't change the environment that I'm in, that I'm leaving the environment to take control of myself, which means I live through life according to just whatever is happening next, whatever is happening next, whatever is happening next. So my challenge is to seize control of myself. And so that requires constant muhasaba, constant self-accounting, constant self-analysis. Do this as an exercise. Tonight before you go to bed, make a list of every single thing you've done tonight, today from the moment you woke up to the moment you're going to sleep. Make a list of everything. Maybe I got out of bed, maybe I washed myself, maybe I prayed, maybe I ate something, maybe I went here, and then from here I went there, from there I went there. And then look at that list and be brutally honest with yourself. How many of those things benefit your akhirah? How many of those things put your akhirah at risk? How many of those things benefit your dunya? And how many of those things put your dunya at risk? And how many of those things benefit neither? And how many of those things benefit both? The most ideal actions in our tradition are not just the actions that benefit our akhirah, but those that benefit our dunya and our akhirah. Because we're not abandoning akhirah, that is not, or we're not abandoning dunya, that is not our tradition. Our tradition is to appreciate the dunya that Allah Ta'ala has given us. The dunya is a place of beauty. The, the dunya is a place of wonders. And the dunya is definitely a door through which to get closer to Allah. Right? Our tradition is not to hate the dunya. But it is our tradition not to get engulfed by the dunya, not to be taken over by the dunya. So do that as an exercise tonight before you go to sleep. What actions from your day helped or hurt your akhirah? What action, actions from today helped or hurt your dunya? What actions benefited neither? What actions benefited both? Good. And sometimes that exercise is so frightening that you might feel like you're doomed. Oh, what did I do to benefit my akhirah? Right. Or sometimes those exercises might be frightening because you might decide for yourself, gosh, I wasted so much time. But hopefully some things in your day, when you look back at your day, like the fact that you are at Jummah today, that you're at Jummah right now, you can say to yourself honestly, inshallah, Allah will reward me for this. Right? Again, ours is not a tradition of despair, and ours is not a tradition of overconfidence. 
that when it comes to your akhirah, you should have the balance of the two. Hope for all the wonderful things you've done. Hope for the mercy of Allah, and then fear for all the non-wonderful things that you've done. And all of us do it. You and I know the narrations that Allah Ta'ala loves the one who commits sins and does tawbah more than the one who is riding with his camel, sits down, camel walks away, and then gets so excited when the camel comes back. Right? Think about that. That none of us in this room is perfect. And embrace that. That not only am I not perfect, none of you are perfect either. But the best of those of us is the one who turns to Allah. Keep that point in mind. Now, why does this become especially important? So every week I hear various complaints about this or that. Then I talk about it in the khutbah, and then people get afraid that I'm talking about them in particular. No, I'm talking about the whole community. But what are we saying here? One of the complaints I've been getting as of late is how our MSA or how our Muslim community on campus has gotten so fragmented how our Muslim community on campus is so full of little groups, cliques, that then start judging each other. But then remind ourselves, I'm saying once again, respectfully and in a friendly way, remind ourselves that the people who are closest to Allah are the ones who turn to Allah. But you don't know who they are. It might be the person next to you who is praying, or it might be the person next to you who you don't see praying, because you don't know what's going on in that person's heart. Keep that point also in mind, that I am not in any position to judge anybody's Iman. I am not in the position to judge anybody's lack of Iman. Now why do I have to say this in the context of students? It's very easy, and I have to make this point every single khutbah, it's very easy for us to let our tongues go and go and go, and we start saying nasty things about other people. Okay. It's very easy to let it go, and we forget that that's the equivalent of taking a match and putting it in a, in a dry forest. That is the effect of backbiting, that is the effect of gossip in a community. Take a match or take a torch that is on fire and walk into a very dry forest and see what happens. Because we often think, I'm saying these things, but it doesn't mean anything, right? And maybe I'll put the torch down on the ground in the forest and it'll extinguish on its own. But you and I know, more than likely, it'll catch to one tree, and then it'll catch to another tree, and it'll catch to another tree, and eventually the entire forest is burnt down. So what am I saying? Once again, my beloved brothers and sisters, take accounting of yourself. Take accounting of how you see yourself. Take accounting of how you see others. So now let us have a small lesson about what happens when we do wrong. Whether I say something wrong about someone else or I do something wrong to someone else, or I wrongly take something from someone else. When you do something that is out of your normal practice, something happens inside. You get this feeling, this emotional sentiment inside, and then you have to make a decision on what you do. So suppose extreme example, extreme example that I'm sure none of us in this room have done. You're this normal person, and then you get angry, and then you throw a rock at somebody. Okay? Good. I'm assuming nobody in this room has done that. But then you start feeling this feeling inside. And you have a moment to decide what to do. So this reminds us of two stories that, over, that often overlap in the Quran. One is the story of Adam and Eve, peace be upon them. The other is the story of Iblis, al-Rajim, the devil. 
And you know, you know the stories. Adam and Eve, peace be upon them, are told by Allah, go anywhere in this garden, eat whatever you want, wherever you want, just don't go near this tree. And then what happens? Shaitan makes them slip, they go to the tree. And then what happens? That's the key point of the story for this lesson. They start feeling what we call remorse. And then Allah Ta'ala teaches them how to seek forgiveness related to their actions or related to their feeling. And then he gives them the dua, Rabbana zalamna anfusina, so forth and so on, to the end of the dua. It's a prayer for forgiveness. We have oppressed ourselves. And if you don't forgive us, then we're going to be among the losers. And then they're they say it, and then they're forgiven. Okay. That's one story, and of course there's more to that story. But then the other story is the story of the accursed devil. That when everyone is told to do sajda before Adam, peace be upon him, you know all the angels did sajda, but not him. And then what happened? He did something wrong. But what was his wrong? Refusal. Allah Ta'ala makes an announcement, and he refuses. Allah Ta'ala asks him, why didn't you do sajda? Iblis could have said, I'm not an angel, I'm a jinn, the command is for angels. Iblis could have said, I only do sajda to you, Ya Allah. But you and I know what he said, I'm better than him, you created me from fire, you created him from clay. This is the second possible response, that when I do something wrong, and I feel this feeling inside myself, the second possible response is arrogance. So when you do something wrong, you can respond to your own action with remorse, or you can respond to your own action with arrogance. Now think about what is arrogance. Usually in our culture, when we speak of arrogance, we're talking about someone who thinks that he or she's better than everyone else. But when we're speaking of kibr, part of it is, yeah, you think you're bigger and better, more important. But what happens? Remorse, you're debasing yourself. You're saying, how could I have done this? This is so low. Arrogance is, of course I'm going to do this. It's justified. You're putting yourself in a superior position. Anytime you and I do wrong, especially if it's big, you'll be making that choice. Either realizing you've done something wrong or justifying it in your mind. And if you realize you've done something wrong, then you seek forgiveness. But if you start justifying it in your mind, then you start digging your heels into the ground, convincing yourself that you're right. So think about this, anytime you do anything wrong, I look at my past 40 some years and I have a list upon list upon list of all these things I've done wrong. And in some cases, remorse. In some of those cases, seeking forgiveness. In other cases, I would say, no, I was right. And I'd stay stubborn with it. There's another point to think about with arrogance. Again, it doesn't mean that you're thinking you're better than everyone else, but you're justifying wrong behavior either by saying it's nothing big, or by saying, no, they hurt me so I can hurt them. It is very hard to get out of arrogance then. Once you get into the mode of justifying wrong behavior, it gets hard to get out of it. Almost in some cases, the only way to get out of it is if you get debased by something else. Because sometimes there is no cure for kibber. Sometimes the only cure for kibber is someone else shuts you down completely or life shuts you down completely, and then you get humbled. So now, on that note, let us think about whatever it is we've done in life, and let's take a moment and ask Allah for forgiveness.
We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now think about the other side. Here we're speaking about you doing wrong to someone else. What about when someone does wrong to you? And you get hurt. And then you feel you have to do something. At least defend yourselves. That's what you're thinking. So what is the ideal case scenario, which is very difficult? This is the story where the Prophet, peace be upon him, is standing with Abu Bakr. May Allah be pleased with him. And these people came and they started insulting Abu Bakr. And the Prophet is standing with him. And they're insulting him and slandering him right to his face. And then he starts responding, correcting them, and the Prophet suddenly walks away. And then what happens? Abu Bakr later goes to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and I'm paraphrasing, saying that when they were attacking me, you were silent, and when I defended myself, you went away. And he's trying to understand what was the reasoning. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, said what? That when they were attacking you, and of course I'm paraphrasing, when they were attacking you, I saw these angels standing around you. But the moment you started defending yourselves, even knowing Abu Bakr, the defense was probably truthful, then I saw the angels go away, meaning you decided you didn't need them. That's the best scenario, that if you are being attacked, if you're being criticized, whether it's true or whether it's false, let it go. But that takes strength, because forgiveness takes strength. If someone has done something to you and you feel the pain, maybe it's caused physical pain in your life, it takes tremendous strength to be able to forgive. Because when you're forgiving, you're taking away your right for compensation. When you're forgiving, you have to remove any anger and hatred out of your heart. That is very difficult. But what if you don't have that much strength? Now, if we had a legal justice system, you would pursue it through the courts, depending upon how big it is. But otherwise, one thing to be cautious about is two wrongs don't make a right. Someone gossips against you, someone insults you behind your back, you are not resolving the problem if you then insult them behind their back. Because now what's happening, someone put a torch into the forest, and now you're putting another torch into the forest. Right? This is one of the lessons of Hamlet. We all had to read Hamlet back in high school. And what was the story there? His father gets killed, so now he has to go, according to his group, go and kill one of their people. Okay? And this is also what we used to see in the Quraysh. You kill one of ours, then we kill one of yours. But, oh, you shouldn't have killed him, so now we're going to kill another one of yours. That's not justice, that is vengeance. And vengeance is also not our tradition. So then what do you do? In an MSA or in a college-type environment, number one, you do have to have confidence that falsehood vanishes. This is in Surah Al-Isra. This is what the Prophet, peace be upon him, was saying as he was walking into the Kaaba at the conquest of Mecca. That truth is here, falsehood has vanished, and falsehood is something that vanishes. Right? If someone slanders you, you might be afraid that this is what people are going to start thinking of you. But understand, if it's false, they might think of it as you for a while, but it will eventually go away. Okay? But in those cases, it might be better to come talk to me. Because okay. I hear all week long, every single week, this person saying these things about that person, that person saying these things about those people. Usually I'm not given any names, so it might be any of us, it might be all of us, it might be none of us. But the point is that then I need 
the people who are hurt to come to my office so we can figure out how to address it. Good. But what is the deeper point that I'm making? In an environment like this, usually you need someone else to get involved. So you can feel satisfied in your heart. Good. That, yeah, I tried to get this resolved in a proper way. Because again, it's very easy to hold a torch and put it into the forest. But what is again, once again, oh, my overall point, my beloved brothers and sisters, the same thing every week. Take control of your tongue, take control of your heart, take control of your actions, take control of your tongue. Don't let it be a match burning up a forest. Okay. Take control of your actions, trying to improve them week after week after week or semester after semester, because at some day, you're gonna feel like you have no more time to do that. And then in terms of taking control of your heart, do your self-accounting even tonight. Do an exercise tonight, and if it's too far away, do an exercise this afternoon. Look at how you spent your day this whole day. Maybe you spent all these hours in class and studying, inshallah, that's to help your dunya, good. Then you came here for Juma, that is to help your akhirah and perhaps your dunya, hopefully my lesson is of benefit, very good. And then look at everything else. Look at the things that you've said. Look at the things that you've listened to. Because your tongue might hold you account, your ears might hold you account. He made me, she made me listen to all these things. Okay. But the last point, I'm saying this out of love and respect for each and every one of you. Right? So now let us take a moment and remind us ourselves about someone who loves us more than we even love ourselves, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa barik wa sallim. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa barik wa sallim. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa barik wa sallim. O Allah, we call upon you with all of your names to shower your blessings upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on his family and on his companions and extend the blessings and peace upon them. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adhab nar Our Lord, our cherisher, our sustainer, grant us the best of this life and the best of the hereafter and protect us from the fire. O oh Allah, for all of our exams and all of our papers that are coming forth, please inspire us to do the studying that we need to do and the preparation that we need to do. And inspire our teachers to exercise mercy upon us when they're grading them. And please guide us to aspire to excellence, whether it's in class, whether it is in character, or whether it is in deen. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wassalamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Aqim salam. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar.